0: you maybe have more chance of succeeding as an individual if you're working as part of a team which is really smooth and functioning well, actually increases your chance of being individually successful. Once you buy into that idea, which is what lone wolves never buy into, but once you buy into that idea, then you can be in control of your own individual success.
1: Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by Alex Zoboli and Matt Nichols. Alex and Matt are the founders of Cornerstone Recruitment Japan. Cornerstone is focused on placing bilingual professionals in a wide range of market-leading companies across all sectors. They're one of the fastest-growing recruitment companies in Japan with a team of 40 and the only recruitment firm with backing from a major investment bank in Tokyo. Matt, Alex, welcome. Great to meet you. Great to meet you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right, my pleasure. Yeah, I'm really interested in what you guys do and uh, how you've launched a fast growing company during the pandemic, which I'm sure was um, was challenging. Could you guys just briefly share the story of how and why you you launched the business? Yeah,
0: you want to go, mate. Yeah, okay. So I think I mean to take a step back. We 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 both worked for a major Japanese recruitment business before called Recruit which um, you know, is a huge business. They own Indeed.com, they own Glassdoor, fourth biggest recruitment company in the world. And we were brought in to launch their bilingual recruitment division. So the division dealing with international companies in Tokyo. Uh, and we took it over. It was around 15 people. It was making a loss. It had a couple of MDs, which uh, hadn't done as well. And then four years later, we were 220 people making 50 million USD. So off the back of that track record, we started to, you know, have an idea of setting up our own business, talking to investors, and we got, you know, we got really lucky that we we got some backing from yeah, a major investment bank, major international investment bank, um, with the idea that we could do the same thing again with our own company, and that brought us to uh, to setting up Cornerstone.
2: Yeah, so we launched uh, almost two years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we got 40 people now. We are... Uh, the fastest growing equipment business in in Japan. And uh, our goal is basically is is to do it again. You know, we want to build another 200 people business and uh, be a major player really in the the Japan market again. That's it, yeah. We've um, already signed for
0: a 90-person office from January. So we're serious about it. We're going to make it happen again. And um, yeah, it's been fun, fun two years.
1: All right, awesome. I love how you've already you know, signed up for a 90 person office yeah. <laughs> you know, this, That's <laughs> commitment. Like you guys are, it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in your personal stories because, uh, I'm guessing that you guys aren't Japanese. How did you come to be recruiting in Japan and, and, uh, why, why this market?
2: Uh, yeah, um, I'm Italian. So I, uh, I should never really worked in Italy. I went to live in London when I was 20, 23, I think. Um, I did recruitment in London for uh, about like seven years, I think. Uh, I work with uh, Blue Arrow mainly in London. So I was doing contract recruitment for uh, catering and hospitality. Uh, then I met my wife, Japanese lady. Uh, and we decided to come to Japan, uh, for, to start a family really, uh, and, uh, came to Japan and did, uh, three years of Haze. Uh, then, uh, I got head by Matt actually at the, at RGF. Yeah. Um, uh, then yeah, we worked together at RGF and then, uh, you know, I think we, we, uh, we got along pretty well. Uh, <laughs> so we decided then to start our business. That's pretty much
1: my story. Fantastic! It's uh, I'll find your story in a second, Matt. What I'm amazed at is you guys have you know had to learn you know a whole nother language and and uh, you're doing business in not your mother mother tongue, uh, which must be um, I mean that's takes courage and and uh, you know uh, really fascinating, Matt. How about yourself? How did you end up in Japan?
0: Yeah, I mean also I was I had to. I would, Started my recruitment career in England and um, Mm -hmm. eventually had my own business, my own recruitment business in England, which was a a decent size. And I sold it. It didn't work for a couple of years and I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And I I used to be an English teacher in Japan when I first graduated, so I always kind of fancied coming back. So just took the plunge, came to Tokyo, interviewed with some of the big firms, got a job with Robert Walters as as a director. And then became managing director of, uh, you know, the the part of recruits business we spoke about, met Alex, and here we are.
1: Fantastic. That's awesome. Um, So could you guys just give us some context uh, on, because I think, A lot of people aren't really familiar with the Japanese recruitment market, even though I believe it's the second biggest in the world after the U S is that right? Yeah, it is. Um, second biggest. So like, what's, what's it like recruiting in, in Japan?
2: Yeah, I think it is a very unique market. To be honest, very like totally different from uh, Europe or even other Asian country, I would say. Uh, I think for what we do is, you know, we we actually really uh, specialize and work on a very uh, thin layer of actually the overall uh, recruitment landscape. You know, so what we do is we work with uh, Fortune 500 type of companies. You know, so global mainly global company. We do work with some Japanese companies. but. Uh, predominantly is again Fortune 500 type of companies across all sectors, um, and we work uh, the middle to senior management type of positions, so managers, directors, uh, country managers type of roles. Um, and the type of candidates that we place are mainly Japanese people that speak English. You know, so we we work on the bilingual market. So usually, again, it's, it's Japanese people that work or have worked in international firms. Maybe they studied abroad when they went to university, uh, but people that speak English on on a day to day basis, with you know, uh, in the businesses also uh, dealing with HQ.
0: Yeah, I think it's um it's a market that's got a few quirks, definitely. So. It's incredibly candidate short for a couple of reasons. Japanese candidates famously don't change jobs very often, so that's that's a limiting factor. You know they have the, the job for life mentality still a little bit in in Japan. Um, mm-hmm. And really, there aren't that many Japanese candidates that actually speak English. The, the level of English in the country is incredibly low. Um, and then you throw in the fact that maybe LinkedIn is nowhere near as as successful. Or as um, as big in other countries, it, it makes it incredibly difficult for even some of the best brands, the best international brands, to source their own candidates. So yeah, that's where we come in basically. And, and actually, your position as a recruiter in Japan is, I think, it's seen as a little bit of a higher higher level kind of job than it might be in other countries because you're such a valued resource to so even some of the biggest brands. There's no way they can attract candidates. Um, so it makes it a really a really fun market. Um, and, and a lucrative one too, because it's, it is so candidate short. our fees are 40%. You know, we've, we've seen fees up to a hundred percent, a hundred percent on occasions. Um, wow. so it's a really, yeah, really interesting place to, to be a recruiter.
1: So what, what would be a situation where the client would be open to paying a hundred percent fee? They come to you. I mean, we, we just
0: got a client now, which said, Hey, look, we need to hire 10 positions, you know, we'll pay you 60% rather than the 40% we have agreed. And on occasions, very niche niche positions, we've had clients offer kind of campaigns where they're going to pay
2: 100%. Yeah, maybe it could be a case where, mainly it's with IT companies, IT or gaming. I think we have mm-hmm. these kind of opportunities uh, where they have a big project and they need to hire 10, 20, 30 engineers, uh, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also, it's, you know, Japan is still... Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit behind, I think, in terms of diversity and inclusion. So there are not many women in the workforce, uh, and uh, clients they're starting to wake up a little bit in in that sense. Yeah. So maybe placing uh, a female executive, you know, could come at premium. And some company they're trying to again increase that diversity and inclusion, and they might pay premium for that particular type of candidate. Yeah
1: really interesting just shows the power of market dynamics supply and demand you know in most countries in the world um, clients are trying to like get you to reduce your fee right they're always going to push back and say oh well 30% we normally pay 20 or if you if you charge 20 they're going to try and get you down to 15 and in in your case clients are the ones who are actually instigating the increase they're you know to try and motivate you guys to really dedicate the the you know commit to filling these jobs. It's it's fascinating. It's
0: so true. I mean, because it, it's so it's much easier to get jobs here than it is in any other market. You know, every single client, big international client, is recruiting for bilingual talent, and, and yeah. it's it's in such short supply. They actually do need to motivate you as a recruiter to prioritize certain
2: roles, yeah, in certain
0: companies and their, their positions. And you know, I think it's so beautiful because Japanese candidates also don't really like to apply for jobs directly. They much prefer the, in, it's a cultural thing, they prefer the indirect approach of dealing with a recruiter. So even if you're a top brand and you're putting adverts on LinkedIn.
2: You're not going to get much quality out of you're it. You're not going to get uh, anyone, yeah. I think in general, I think that the Japanese candidate, I think especially the, the type of recruitment that we do, uh, they love, uh, I think, the experience of working with the, with an agent, you know, the the fancy dinners, you know, we trust, for instance, a bit, of course, less now, with with the pandemic, but pre-pandemic, uh, uh, very uh, uh, our job is very heavy on entertainment, you know, both on the candidate and the client side. So uh, building long-lasting relationship, uh, you know, with candidates and clients over dinners, lunches, and so on is is extremely important. So so people, it's a very enjoyable type of work, I think
1: fascinating no that's cool um it's it's sounds like the good old days like the sort of old fashioned way of doing recruiting where you're actually meeting in person you're going for lunch you're you know uh entertaining your clients and um and 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 candidates cool um i've read a report there's a organization i think they're called uh, staffing industry analysts and they do and they have different you know um sort of industry analysis of the global recruiting and staffing, uh, industries. And th- I read a list of the, uh, the biggest staffing companies in the world. And in the top 10, there's actually a few Japanese companies on that, on that list, which uh, I hadn't expected, but now I'm starting to understand, you know, why that, why that economy, might be,
2: you know, a huge economy, uh, very, very stable economy as well. You know, it doesn't really go up or down. It's just really solid.
1: Uh, mm. uh so the market That's is huge. Cool. Yeah. So listen, guys, um, you're specialist in scaling businesses. You've did it once before very successfully. And now the aim is to do it again. Um, what is, the what are the critical success factors or the keys to being able to scale like you described going from 15 people to 220 people in four years um that's not easy to pull off how did you guys do that
0: i think i mean we both maybe add a couple of points but i think there's um there's a few factors some of them are going to sound a little cliched i guess you, you know you hear these kind of things but it will you know work for us i think um for me, the, the, the key is you've got to set the goal that you want to achieve for the business really early and you've really got to commit to it and it's got to stay part of the fabric of the business every single step of the way. So if you're going to be a 250-person business, if that's what you think you can achieve, that, that's, that's the goal on day one and all your actions, everything you do is with scalability in mind. All the decisions you make have scalability in mind so that you're not limiting your success and I'll let Alex add a few more points. But I think the other thing for me also is your first 50 people are absolutely crucial if you're gonna if you're gonna scale a big business. Your first 50 people should contain most of your future senior leadership team. Your culture's fairly set, I think, after 50 people. So there, you know of course it's always important, no matter how big the business is to hire good people, but if you're gonna scale a business rapidly, zero to fifty is tough. Fifty to hundred is
2: Less stuff,
0: 100 to 200, easy, if you get the first bit right.
2: Yeah, I
1: think... Huh, uh, interesting. I've never heard it described that way before. <laughs> um, go ahead, Alex, what were you going to say? Yeah, I think the first 50 is crucial because,
2: you know, especially what I think what we did before, uh, especially if it's the first time you do it, you have to sell it, you know, because, of course, you you can have all these, you know, uh, big dreams of, you know, building a company <laughs> or whatever, but... At the beginning, you're kind of unknown really, and people you know they don't have the track record people it's difficult for people to visualize it and to really believe what you're gonna do. do uh, I think in general, like you need to have the ambition to do it, and you know I think not, not everybody wants to have a big business, and having a big business and scaling it in a short period of time is extremely stressful <laughs> uh, and it's a lot of hard work um and especially if you do it for somebody else, like we did the first time, I think even from a financial point of view, you know, you, you know, you don't really get the reward, I think, you know, from having a 50 people to a 200 people business, your composition doesn't really change that much, you know? Yeah. So you're kind of doing, you're doing it really because you kind of want to do it, you know? Uh, and uh, I think that's, that's been our a, a, a success factor. I think, you know, the fact that, we just really wanted to do it. You know, that's it. Yeah.
1: Amazing. So, like, really wanting to do it, I think is is this isn't going to happen by accident, right? It's yeah. something that you've got a very specific, clear vision of what you're trying to achieve from day one. You you going into it knowing this is going to be challenging, it's going to be stressful, it's going to be difficult, but we are going to do it. And it's just wanting to and deciding. Um, and making that commitment, yeah, it's, early. It's, so that's interesting. Yeah, it's committing to it. That's why we we've,
0: we've signed for this office from January. You know, that's another statement of intent, and it's another kind of marker where everybody in the business realizes this is really happening. This is really happening. You know, this this we've shown people around the office. This is where we're going to be in January. We're going to fill it by the end of next year. It's 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 about that.
1: What's awesome is growth um, is infectious in the sense that people can, like they're part, they feel like the energy, the excitement, they're part of something that's like really uh, got momentum. And then it inspires people to want to, you know, perform well, and they can see the career path for themselves as well. If they perform, then there's going to be opportunities for them to advance within the business as well. So it's, um, it's cool. Let's talk about the first 50 then. How do you sell uh, of the vision and get people excited about joining what could be perceived as a, a higher risk situation, right? If they're, in, they're working for a very large, stable business, they've got security, they've got, they, they know kind of what the culture is and you're asking them to jump on board to something that is, um, you know, there's more uncertainty. How, how have you guys pulled that off? I think
2: at the beginning, with our previous company, uh, to a certain extent, we had a really well-known brand. Uh, you know, in Japan, if you speak with anybody, uh, the recruit brand is, you know, is like a Toyota. Everybody knows it. It's safe. So even if our business was the bilingual arm of it, you still have that kind of brand recognition. Um, uh, I think it was difficult to sell at the beginning the fact that you know we were going to grow and. I think to a certain extent you also have the negative side that some people don't wanna work for a Japanese business, you know. Uh and the fact that it hadn't grown for five or six, six years, years, you know. So uh, the previous MDs tried to uh, to sell the dream and try to make it, they didn't make it. So the brand was, I don't know, was, was had mixed reviews, I think. So the beginning it was a bit difficult. Uh, and also a few other things, like maybe the commission scheme we had in place was not amazing, you know, for, uh, for top billers, you know, it was very comfortable for, uh, maybe more, uh, the managerial level, but I like, really attracting the top billers. was, was a bit difficult. Um, we're talking about, are we talking about your previous, previous situation? situation now? I think, uh, in Japan, I think people know us, you know, they know, you know, we hire a, a lot of people from competitors, you know, we hire from competitors, mm-hmm. we kind of have our own brand, you know, so people know that we did it before, they know what they get when they come and work for us. Uh, and of course, also having, you know, a major investment again from, you know, from, from uh, an international bank, you know, it kind of gives you that... Uh, reassurances that you know uh, these guys are going to do it again they're going to do it properly they have the right backings you know uh, and I think we also have a bit more experienced this time um, yeah, I, th- uh, I think so I think it's
0: just easier to once you've done it right it's really it's much easier to then put in real terms exactly how this is going to impact somebody's career so we have a track record we have the investment so it's not like you're joining a boutique and it's the owner's money and he's trying to sell you the dream but you're thinking yeah but you've still got to pay for it yourself, right? So, you know, I think we, actually the business appeared more stable to people than perhaps a normal startup because of those facts. And because we'd experienced it before, we can really lay out the benefits of growing a super, uh, joining a super fast growing company. You know, it's, it's brilliant for somebody's career. If you join a business and you do well, and the business is growing rapidly. Your career is going to be significantly better at a faster rate, than uh, if you join a a big established company. so And like Alex said, we already had the reputation of having done it. People know what we achieved in the market. And uh, so second time around, was a bit easier in in a strange kind of way.
1: Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I want to encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. One thing I find uh, is that Although we advise clients as recruiters, we advise clients on their employer value proposition and how to sell the opportunity and what they need to put in place to attract the top talent. Many recruitment businesses don't listen to their own advice. They don't actually know what their own employer value prop is or you know, what's going to attract people. So what have you guys put in place that is part of the story that you're able to tell to candidates to get to attract them to want to come and talk to you,
0: I think it depends on the level of the person that's joining. Um, <laughs> obviously, I think I'll just maybe I'll deal with the junior end and I can deal with the, the senior end. But I think if you're so, we just started to hire new grads, and we've had amazing success with the new grads that join our business. So the first new grad we hired in January is our number two biller. She's absolutely kidding wow! It. Just
1: got promoted today. And I think the value add. Wait, so they've been with you for five months? Yeah. Wow, incredible! Especially That's a whole nother... Okay, especially the slow market
0: like uh, like Japan, right? And I think the value add we give to inexperienced people is, you know, imagine you you join one of the big players, right? And you go through the corporate training program, and you're going to get it's good, of course, all the modules are there, but you're going to get trained by a corporate trainer in their business who. With all due respect, maybe he was an ex-recruiter that was decent, but not not a top-biller. Um, but right now, in the state of the size of our business right now, we have exactly the same. We've worked for big businesses. Our training program is exactly the same from a module-to-module module basis as you would get in a big company. But you get trained by me and Alex, quite simply. We run all the training. We've got you know 20 years' rec- recruitment experience. And it's it has a massive impact, without being arrogant, on on new people to get trained by people that are very successful in the market that they're in and I always say to people you know, if you joined us in our previous company when we were 220 people you yeah, we would we would have not spoken to us that much quite frankly because we were managing a massive business we certainly wouldn't have been trained by us and you know we're still in an office where we've hired a lot of top billers me and Alex are on the phone we're still we're back to, yeah. to billing as we grow the business and leading by example so I think the experience you get as a, as a an inexperienced person or, or recruiter is um, is pretty special and different from what you might get in a big business.
2: Yeah, I think for experienced one, um, I think uh, first of all, I think we are, as Matt said, you know, we're we very technical recruiters. You know, both Matt and I are, you know, top billers. You know, so uh, I think and the way we approach like, you know, management is is very technical, I think. Um, But I think also what is really important um, is is the fact that we're a big student, honestly, of of the market, you know, we're people that uh, we're really passionate about the job, you know, we love recruitment. And I think in Japan, sometimes you have a lot of maybe managers and directors and so on that they came here as English teacher, they overachieved a little bit and uh, uh, they never had that, I don't know, that thing, that X factor, like we call it. Um, And I think senior people, they they appreciate that. They appreciate the fact that, you know, we we love what we do. We're really good at what we do. And we've been around, you know, so we work for big companies. We started a business before. So we're very mature, I think, in the way we actually manage uh, experienced people without going into micromanagement or give really advice you know, that, that they can benefit. Uh and we can scale quickly, you know, so we are hiring a lot sort of uh I would say ambitious managers that have not reached their peak yet. So usually this layer of, of managers they, they need a little bit of guidance and they need somebody that can help them uh hiring and, and that's I think what we bring to the table, the reputation, the you know, the, the connection that we have we're uh, very clear, right if we, when we When we hire somebody in a senior consultant role or a management position
0: and they have ambitions to to grow a team, we we're, we're just incredibly clear about the hiring roadmap. When we're going to hire people, we take care of all of that, exactly what they have to do to to achieve that. what they have to do to keep up with the growth of the business also, which is very motivating. Um, so I think you know we've had, we had a lot of success hiring senior consultants with a very short term target to get promoted to manager and then an immediate roadmap of how many people we're gonna hire. And I think if you really stick to that you lay it out and you stick to it, um, you get these people bought in and they, you know, they really appreciate that you're you know, you're living up to your word and giving them the opportunity which they deserve and um, they've earned, but I think you still get a lot of loyalty back from that.
1: Amazing. What's the sort of mixture when you're hiring between experienced people versus, you know, grads or or less experienced folks that you're training from scratch?
2: I think we're very quality driven. You know, we simply want to hire the best so we don't really compromise on quality. Um, I think that that's a big thing for us. You know, we're good at spotting talent. I think we're good at identifying Kind of what works for us, you know, the kind of people that, that <coughs> will enjoy uh, working with us and, and vice versa. Um, so, I think I don't know for me that that's kind of the secret, really. We know what we want, we know the type of person we want, we're good at finding them and we're good at selling them. And we're not cheap, honestly. There are lots of firms, that think, you know, that, that they're a bit cheap. You know, we, you know, we we offer really good salaries and you know, the commission scheme is really good. And, uh, we want to make sure that our people are really well rewarded because it's hard work. Again, scaling a business—it it looks beautiful from the outside, but when you're on in the inside, you know it's, it's, there's a lot of work. So I think you have to be paid for that. See I think the split's kind of uh, evol-
0: evolving. I would say so. When we launched the business, mainly experienced hires, people we'd worked with previously, top pillars from competitors that wanted to maybe take a bit of a risk and be part of this story. But as we evolve, we're looking at. I don't know, almost a, a, a 60-40 split. I think 60% maybe inexperienced. actually, as we yeah. as we move forward. Um, you we're know, we,
2: kind of 50-50 right now, I think. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. we're probably going to edge it more towards sort of like the new grad market, which uh, for us has been an amazing success. So we want to kind of replicate that.
1: Mm. Let's talk about that. So taking a new grad to top biller in five months is very fast. Like uh, most recruitment businesses, it takes three to six months for someone even just to, you know, start hitting their target. And, uh, and like, so let's say three months to, to be, if it's a 360 rule, three months to bill and six months to kind of be fully up and running. And then 12 like even 12 to 24 months, I'd say you're still an apprentice, really. You're not Like, uh, uh, you haven't mastered your craft yet for, for the first few years, what does the training involve that allows you to help people to accelerate that times timeline?
0: I think it's, uh, I mean, partly it's partly down to the individual, obviously, you know, she's been with us for for six months and she's clearly an absolute superstar, um, which helps, um, you know, no matter how good your training is, if the individual is amazing, that's good. I think we, um, we only operate a 360 model. We don't we, even in a candidate short market. We, we don't really believe in the researcher model. And I think what we're really good at is yes, we operate the standard module-based training where we train people on every aspect of the job. But we also have a rule where we we hire people that are capable of doing a 360 role, and that's what Alex is referring to in the quality. And we give them a client on day one. We give them, you get a client and a job on day one, and of course you're. Classroom-based training is going on in the background over three months, where you're working closely with an experienced manager or me and Alex to, you know, to develop this client, shortlist candidates, start sending them out, learn how to pitch job. So we really we just don't wait. Basically, we try and hire people that are good enough to to handle to, have, to, to, have, one, to yeah. handle that and the pressure that comes with it, um, and then we we have this this dual approach to training where it's, it's on the job massively, but also the classroom-based in the background.
1: So there's this three month uh, training process. When you say classroom based, like what does that entail?
0: It includes everything from how to, where to sit in a Japanese business meeting, not so so as you don't offend somebody. How to exchange business cards, right through to all the basics of recruitment: how to screen a job, how to interview a candidate, how to generate leads through to how to successfully pitch a retainer, you know, every single technical aspect that you would, you would imagine.
1: Fantastic. And is that done in like cohorts? So like your, uh, people at a similar level in the business or how do you organize that?
2: Yeah. We have different levels for the seniority of the person. Mm-hmm. So we have, again, uh, different layers for like associates to managers, you know, mm-hmm. the training would be different and. Uh, Uh, that's kind of what we develop, you know, uh, a a layer system type of training, basically.
1: And so in a typical week, how much it, during that first three months, how much time are they spending like doing workshops and, and going through the modules and how much time are they spending working at their desk at their manager's side on real jobs? Uh,
2: I think the theory is pretty smooth. You know, we, we try to, I think to, I think we have probably like around 30 sessions, uh, spread over the first mm-hmm. three months, a bit heavy on the first month. Uh, but the sessions are like around an hour each, I would say maybe an hour, yeah, okay. yeah. longer than an hour. Um, so it's, it's very heavy on actually the, 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 the actually the practical side of the job, you know? Uh, and that's, I think what has been really, really good for us, you know? also I think that, that, I think of course you know the, the quality of the managers that we have in place is really good. Um and I think just the time, you know, that the these people, you know, the consultant gets with the manager, especially for the first three months, it's it is really like a lot of good time where maybe I think if you join a big firm or a boutique, it might not be uh as structured and as consistent also.
1: Fantastic. <clears throat> so how do you know uh, that someone is going to be successful with you and, you know um what how do you evaluate and know yes we, you know this was the right person or uh-oh um i think we we had a mishire here yeah you must have asked that to a
0: lot of people mark right you know a lot of a lot of uh, that's the classic question for any any recruitment business
1: owner or or director or whatever because it's it's yeah, you know, especially you know? Early on, like it's maybe too or too soon to judge based on billings, right? Yeah. And so you're going on other factors. Uh, what what are you looking for someone to accomplish, let's say, in their first, you know, during that training period, the first three months?
0: I think, firstly, I would, I would say we actually we um, I think we're good at recruiting people. We we've had zero staff turnover in the last fourteen months, and that's not because we're wow. we're super soft or anything like that. You know, we um, we just hired the right people. I think, you know, we, Alex will probably elaborate on this, but we've got really simple values for what we expect from somebody in the, in the early part of their career. It's really simple. It's, do you work hard? Do you have a good attitude? Can you be a team player? Are you a nice person? Which may sound strange, but we want to hire nice people for our business. We work, we work with these people all the time. And I think if you be displaying those qualities with, with the training and the, and the effort we're going to put into you, you're going to succeed.
2: Yeah I think uh, well, for us we we you know we like to hire we, we're super sales of course right you know that, that's the nature of the job right so we're looking for people that have again that thing you know that that panache you know uh, uh and I think we're good at finding you know those you know that, that role talent you know I think we could you know you can teach the techniques and everything but You kind of need to have it a little bit in you, that salesiness, that that zest, you know, and uh, I think we're good at finding those kind of people, you know, and uh, that that has been probably our success so far.
1: Awesome. So you're hiring the right people in the first place. And then, you know, so you're looking for people who are working hard, great attitude, um, and also nice people i think there was a fourth one um team player you know we're a team-based team team. player yeah right absolutely which in recruiting you it can attract people who are more selfish or you know just going to focus on on me 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 right so um how do you balance that because you do want people who are ambitious and want to you know achieve but also who are going to be team players those two don't always go hand in hand
0: no, uh, they, you know, you're right. I think, um, you know, we, we would avoid the, the lone wolf type of, of person. They're pretty easy to spot, you know. I think they're really easy to spot. So if someone's a top biller from a competitor, but they're, they're not a team player at all, they're a lone wolf, we're not interested. You know, we, we'll, we can do without the, the billing, basically. So the team thing's massive for us. And I really think it's possible to, because we have a good individual commission scheme, I still think it's really possible to find somebody with that individual ambition where they're rewarded individually for what they do, but they're still mature enough as a person or they're nice enough as a person to actually play a part in a a team, to not worry about the fact that we don't have candidate ownership, to make recommendations to their colleagues about... Showing leads. Yeah, leads and candidates they should be placing, to be happy when their colleagues do well. I think it's possible to get both, you know? And um, some people have slightly slightly different ends of that
2: scale. But I think within that, within that area that we we can find those people. I think we, what we did really well is actually creating a culture that kind of self police that, you know? So I think when people come in, uh, and join us, they, they want that, you know, they really want to work as a team, uh, that, that a lot of the time, that's why people actually join us because we're slightly more team based compared to uh, your average boutique, I think. And, uh, and uh, I think when people join, they're very, you know, well surprised, you know, and happy that everybody's, again, is ambitious, that everybody wants to be the top biller. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah.
0: We still, we really celebrate the individual achievements. We've still got, you know, we got our billing list on the door when you, when you leave the office. We're still old school from that perspective. It's, the individual achievements are celebrated, but it's within that team environment. And I think people, what people realize is actually, you maybe have more chance of succeeding as an individual if you're working as part of a team, which is really smooth and functioning well actually increases your chance of being individually successful. Once you buy into that idea, um, which is what lone wolves never buy into, but once you buy into the idea, then you can, you can be in control of your own individual success. I think.
1: What are some of the ways in which the teamwork benefits the business, like, can you give an example of a characteristic of a smooth uh, and and functional or high performing team? Uh, I think that I mean that the the, the it's a candidate short
0: market that we operate in, right? So, yeah. it, generating good candidates is absolutely essential, and we don't have candidate ownership. You know, there's no hiding candidates in the drawer. Not, there's none of that stuff. I mean, the first recruitment company I worked for, we had candidates on cards and you'd lock your box at the end of the day and, and you know, people <laughs> are fighting over the cards. You know, I think, and we, we, so everybody has, as long as everybody equally pulls their weight in terms of candidate generation, then you personally benefit because you can, you can have any candidate that the, the, the team generates is your candidate. And we run a candidate review Where, you know, as a team, you're going to sit down and discuss every single candidate that you and your colleagues have met in the previous week. And the team will make recommendations to each other about, you know, this candidate would be good for your job. So if you're an inexperienced person, you really benefit from listening to your colleagues, them giving you advice about where you should place a candidate. And I think if you just accept that you're you're not going to be limited, you're only limited by your own ability. Everybody's pulling their weight. You have access to a lot more candidates in this market. Then the then is so
2: smooth, and, and you're going to be more successful. Yeah, I think uh, what what really helped us, I think, is working for some of the larger businesses in the past. Um, I think really benefited us because we're running a really smooth operation. From uh, in, in terms of like our recruitment methodology, like Matt mentioned, you know, the candidate review is, is absolutely you know a huge part in you know in our methodology, and uh, we're running it really smooth. Uh, also, we're, we're very I think, um, a focus on working the system properly, having a good database, uh, operating the database well. Um, so I think all this structure really helps, uh, a recruiter to, to, to be productive uh, quicker. Yeah.
1: Amazing. So, um, you talked about how zero to 50 is the, the hardest part and then 50 oh. to a hundred is a little bit easier. And then a hundred to 200, you said easy. So, um, zero to 50 we've talked about attracting hiring good people uh training them what uh are there any other kind of keys to success in getting that first 50 like really solid nucleus that you can build on
2: i think you have to be very fair i think that's the most important thing i think especially when you're small i don't know like i think a lot of the boutiques they still run a lot of on like the uh, favoritism, you know, the decision-making is not clear or it's not fast, maybe, you know, it can be a bit bureaucratic, I think, or political, you know. Um, I think with me, for us, you know, fairness is, you know, it's really key, you know, we treat everybody the same. The decision-making is really consistent, you know, across the business. Uh, and that's, I think, what you got to do.
0: Yeah, it's, it's linked to keeping your staff turnover low as well, you know, like what Alex just said, I think. It's absolutely crucial you have low staff turnover to start with because those first 50 people should be the champions, the future champions of your business, the people that love the business more than anything. They've played a massive part in the growth of the business. They're so proud to work for the company. I think that's so so crucial. So I think you've got to reward them for their loyalty in joining you, give them a really clear vision about what's going to happen in their career, and then back them when they when they hit the targets and let them let them grow into the leaders you want them to be, don't hire people above them, you know, to, to, to limit their, their career path. Uh, and then you won't have a staff turnover and you'll have people who are super loyal because the dream you sold them at the beginning comes true and, um, and, and they, you know, they feel a big part of it.
1: Let's talk about this um, career path because one thing I've seen with the fastest growing companies is that, um people are really pushed and assuming they're hitting their goals they're promoted quickly there's no like arbitrary time like well you know your review is not for another 8 months so you can't get you know a promotion yet or whatever it's as soon as someone is hitting those milestones they're they're progressing and um whereas other firms um are which don't grow as quickly tend to be more like well she's not quite ready yet uh, or there's like a lot of uh, deliberation and delay over promoting people but I think the challenging bit is if, I, I love the fact you guys recruit uh, promote people from within you're not bringing in a manager over the top of someone necessarily if if you have anyone in the business who could step up yeah. um, but what if your are the individuals in the business aren't ready and they're not quite performing where you need them to be at the pace that you're planning to grow then you know, you've got a bit of a dilemma there, right? Like you, you're you're projecting that we want to build out this team to, uh, you know, to X number of people within Y timescale, um, but the performance isn't quite there. What's, what's the decision look like in that case? I think we're
2: quite lucky because we have like, you know, we have already like a pretty diverse and structured team. So if a manager is a little bit behind, we can yeah. still hire, Maybe now the departments and usually, you know, if a, if a team goes a little bit quiet or the manager is not there ready yet, we actually have the time to wait a little bit and maybe wait the next quarter, even six months, you know, uh, because we, we have the diversity, we have the options uh, to hire different places. And if not, you know, we, we actually do the job ourselves, right? You know, that's the beauty of having two MDs really because we can share the workload. We can still manage team directly. We can take actually, you know, uh, consultant ourselves and, and give a little bit of that room to that manager to um, uh, to, to grow really and, and be a little bit patient. Yeah, I think um, it's not such, so much of a
0: dilemma, I don't think, for us. I think um, if you've got your milestones and your targets correctly kind of calibrated, most people that hit them are going to be ready. Right, and we you, you should know what those milestones are, especially if you've scaled a business before. And if you get the odd person that's not ready, then I I'll, I'll promote them anyway because the the message that it sends out to the rest of the business, you know, is that you stick to what you've agreed previously. And I think that's hugely important. And like Alex said, if someone struggles a little bit after they've been promoted, well, maybe we don't. We can have a conversation with them and not quite pump as many headcount into their particular team and divert it into other areas. But I think most people that hit. Hit the targets if they're properly set. They're ready. Nobody's maybe ever ready to become a manager for the first time, but they're basically ready, and we can help them. And I think it's so important that you just have that fairness that Alex talked about before, and the consistency in the business. That if you, if you, if you do what if you do what we ask, we're going to do what we say, uh, and then we can deal with it after
2: after that. You know, I think for us, amazing. We're quite good with actually the, the management layer. I think are uh, really helping, and yeah. we're, awesome. we're super patient. You know, maybe compared to. Couple of years ago, I think uh, we, we chilled a little bit, and uh, again, like the, I think that the first experience, honestly, of, of scaling the business up to two hundred plus people, that is really beneficial. I think this time around, we're way, way calmer. Uh, I yeah. think i um, way more patient, uh, and again, you, you did it before. Uh, this time feels just much easier, to be honest. You know, at least for me, it feels like really, really uh, much easier.
1: On that note, looking back, what would you say was a mistake that maybe you made the first time around that you've learned from and and changed your approach this time?
2: Uh, for me, I think uh, we we didn't really understand. I think you know, for the first time, you know, I work for Hayes, Matt for you know, for Robert Waters. I think when you work for this kind of company, you can't really hire from competitor. You know, it's really difficult to set that business to to a competitor. I think in our previous company, I think we got really good at selling and we, we just got a bit mesmerized by experienced recruiter without really realizing that maybe we were hiring people that they had a nice resume, but they peaked already in their career. So I think we hired people that, that peaked already and we had such high expectation on those people. And when, you know, when they joined, they weren't really up to you know, the standard that we wanted. I think that was a mistake, I think, not understanding the peak of of uh, of, of people really yeah. and i think also maybe we we hire a bit too much maybe externally as well yeah. i think you know we could we, we did a lot of mismatching you know maybe a manager that was doing i don't know accounting and finance <coughs> we put him to manage a sales and marketing team you know so because we wanted to hit that growth and we were maybe not patient enough and we could and we could sell and we could attract people then I think maybe we are rushed a little bit in a couple of cases. And in that case, just backfired, you know, the people were not good, you know, but the team was not happy because they, they didn't bring that know-how really. Yeah. So I think this time around, we're much more, a bit more conservative, I think, on, on hiring from competitors. So of course, we, we still want to hire the best people around, but I think we've been more understanding of, again, the peak. And we understand which best mm. recruiter work for us.
1: Uh, and yeah, I mean, someone can have 10 years experience on paper, but it might be one year's experience repeated 10 times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And they could have just be just at the stage in their career where they've just slightly lost the hunger and, you know, we're hungry. So we need to, we need to hire people that have the ambition that kind of matches our expectations. And you don't always get that, you
1: know. Amazing. All right, guys. Well, look, I've really enjoyed meeting you. Uh, I'm going to be tracking your growth and and uh, you know let's keep in touch and and maybe do it again. You know when you're at a, your next phase and you'll have new things to to share. Perfect. Yeah, we enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for uh, for having us on the podcast. It
1: was uh, it was great fun. Cheers. Thanks. All right. Pleasure. Awesome, Alex Matt. Great to meet you. Have a great day. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.